This is Sound and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. I'm Emily Fox. And I'm John Richards. And today we'll hear how depression and issues with the church and social media come up in the latest album by John Van Dusen. It was important for me to sing so explicitly about my struggles because I didn't want there to be any question. We'll hear how Cherry Glazer uses her smartphone to write music. Music just floats into my head, and then I record it onto my phone. But first, we hear about a song that's breaking the Billboard charts. Old Town Road by Lil Nas X has been number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart since early April. It's now been there for 18 weeks. That's two weeks longer than previous record holders. To talk about what has made this song a hit, as well as the controversy around the song crossing genres between hip-hop and country, is Chris Melanthi. He's a pop chart analyst and host of the Hit Parade podcast. I spoke with him last week about all of this when Old Town Road first broke the record. I started off by asking Melanthi to take us back before this song was a hit. Lil Nas X hadn't made a name for himself before this song. The song first got traction through the video app TikTok. What makes... Old Town Road unique in the history of pop hits is how it became a hit, how it even came to being in the first place. It was a, an unusual mix of a video game, uh, a hashtag campaign, and an app, TikTok. Uh, but even before it got into TikTok, there was a campaign called the Yeehaw Agenda, which was basically a celebration of the black cowboy. And that was happening on social media right around the same time that Rockstar Games issued a video game called Red Dead Redemption 2, which was Western themed. And those two things kind of mixed together and inspired Lil Nas X to throw together this uh, strange pseudo-country record that he built out of a sample he found on the internet, uh, an adaptation of an old Nine Inch Nails song. By the way, Trent Reznor gets a songwriting credit for this song um, that sounded kind of twangy, almost like a banjo. And he turned that into a country record where he talked about, you know, how he's got the horses in the back and, you know, he's going to take that horse to the Old Town Road. Yeah, I'm going to take my horse to the Old Town Road. I'm going to ride till I can't no more. I'm going to take my horse to the Old Town Road. I'm going to ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in and then he dropped it on TikTok. And TikTok is this short video service, kind of a successor to Vine, that gamifies short video content and encourages folks to share and, you know, compete almost with their short videos. And Lil Nas X helped turn the so-called Yeehaw agenda into the Yeehaw challenge, where folks were uploading their own short videos, showing themselves, uh, you know, flipping into, you know, Western wear in these short videos where they would be transformed from, you know, regular clothes to cowboy clothes while Lil Nas X's song Old Town Road was playing in the background. All this was before uh, he was even signed to a label, before he'd really necessarily been able to turn this into a regular song. Um, and that's what kind of kicked off the whole thing long before there was controversy over would radio play this, what radio stations would play it, etc. It was basically a meme before it became a song and before it became a cause. So once it became a song, part of what also brought rise to the song is there are so many remixes. And I think most people associate the song with a remix collaboration he did with Billy Ray Cyrus of Achy Breaky Heart fame. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old 
Town Road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. Diplo also did a remix. I'm gonna take my horse to the old Town Road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old Town Road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. And then the most inventive take is a remix um, called Soul Town Road, and Soul as in the capital of South Korea. So it's like a K-pop yes. remix. a remix, does that count towards a song moving up the Billboard charts? So let's say, you know, the, the Billy Ray Cyrus um, remix counts towards Old Town Road. So the more remixes, the more basically points you get to keep you on the Billboard charts? The short answer to all of these questions is yes. Remixes do count for the Billboard charts as long as you are basically building the remix out of the bones of the original song, as long as you are not actually re-recording the song from the ground up. So because all of these remixes, even the Soul Town remix, the one with RM, Rap Monster, of uh, K-pop group BTS, because they are all built out of the original recording, they all aggregated together count for the Billboard charts. Obviously, the Billy Ray Cyrus remix, which was sort of the first remix, if you will, the second version of Old Town Road, that has far and away been the most popular version of the song. In fact, it's arguable or debatable whether the song even would have been number one for 17 weeks if it hadn't been for the Billy Ray Cyrus remix. Uh, the original version did get to number one on its own, but the Billy Ray Cyrus remix was really what kind of kicked it into overdrive. It made the track a little longer, a little more substantial, for radio airplay. The original track without Billy Ray Cyrus was under two minutes, which was good for streaming, but a little less good for radio. The Billy Ray Cyrus version is two and a half minutes long. And then you started to see these remixes appear in July. Uh, one of them features the rapper Young Thug and uh, a 12-year-old, Mason Ramsey, who's known on the internet as the yodeling kid. And again, you know, even when these new verses were added, they were just sort of grafted on top of the original recording. They were not, you know, full re-recordings of the original track. So each one aggregated points uh, to the the single entry for Old Town Road on the Hot 100. I should note, however, that um, as much as Lil Nas X was careful to add these remixes at moments when he thought his record needed a boost... Billboard has never added the name of anybody to the Hot 100 other than Billy Ray Cyrus because there has never been a more popular remix of the song other than the Billy Ray Cyrus remix. So the Young Thug version, the Mason Ramsey verse, uh, now the uh, the BTS uh, RM version, none of these have been popular enough for their names to be added to the Hot 100. So the remixes have been additive, but they have not been dominant except for the Billy Ray Cyrus version. Well, what I find interesting is there was pushback from Billboard to not include this song in the country chart. What was their reasoning yep. for that? Here's, here's the crazy thing, and it's a bit of a twisted story. Billboard actually allowed it onto its Hot Country Songs chart back in March for one week. And it was then that they received, let's call it feedback politely, from the country music industry saying, we don't think this is a core country record. And Billboard removed it from the country chart. This was when the song had not gotten very high. It had, it had made a notably high debut, mostly because of its strong digital numbers, but it had not made any impact on country radio. And so, you know, if this song had turned out to be a footnote in history, not a lot of people would have noticed the fact that it was on the Hot Country Songs chart for one 
one week, then yanked. But because it was then getting very popular and climbing the Hot 100, folks did take notice and, and asked Billboard, why has this song been removed from the country chart? And that's when Billboard put out a statement saying that the record did not have enough core elements of today's country music in their phrase for it to count for the Billboard charts. And of course, this has been the subject of much controversy uh, throughout the song's life. Frankly, I think you can argue it either way. Um, It never took hold with country radio audiences. It definitely did get some airplay on country radio stations, but it was not requested heavily on country stations. It never uh, really penetrated very high on country playlists. Um, It is an unusual record. So some of the uh, bias against the record was genuine listener preference. But of course, some of it was uh, a bit dubious. I mean, uh, country music has an odd, spotty relationship with race, certainly. Uh, There have been African-American country stars uh, dating back decades. Of course, you have Charlie Pride. You've got to kiss an angel good morning. More recently, Darius Rucker, formerly of the group Hootie and the Blowfish, uh, has had a very uh, active and successful country career. More recently, you've, you've seen, uh, you know, black country stars like Kane Brown scale the charts. Everybody's talking about heaven like they just can't wait to go. So it's not as if there have been absolutely no black country stars, but it was admittedly not a good look for what has been, you know, colloquially called the Nashville Industrial Complex to collectively decide that this record was not country enough for it to appear on Billboard's chart. Uh, Billboard was probably caught in the middle on this one, and they made uh, a tough and probably bad call removing it from the chart. But you know, unfortunately, because of the way the uh, Hot Country Songs chart is compiled in the digital era, if Billboard had allowed Old Town Road to appear on the country chart, it would have crushed everything on that chart for months. It would be number one on the Hot 100, not only for 17 weeks, but it probably would have been in something like its 18th or 19th week at number one on the country chart by now. And that might have been strange and even perverse for a record that country radio is just not playing all that much. So that was the tough call they made. And And they paid quite a price PR-wise for that call. And was this before or after um, the remix with Billy Ray Cyrus? This was before the remix with Billy Ray Cyrus. And, you know, when Billy Ray got involved, he admitted that he was doing this largely to, you know, get in the mix over the question of, does this count as a country record? And as far as he's concerned, he thinks it's country enough. He would not have participated in the remix if he hadn't. Now, picture, however, a world where the addition of the Billy Ray Cyrus remix caused Billboard to say, oh, okay, it's country enough now. Now we can put it back on the country chart. Uh, Given that Billy Ray Cyrus is, of course, a white country star of many decades, and, you know, Lil Nas X is African-American, it would have been an ugly look to say this record only becomes country enough when a white guy sings on it. Uh, so, you know, sticking to their guns, if you will, uh, Billboard and, you know, the country music industry never put the song back on the chart. They basically determined long ago that this was not a fundamentally country record and it was never allowed back on the chart. So here we are 17 weeks later, uh, you know, 17 weeks into its control of the Hot 100, which, by the way, is an all-genre chart. There's no genre limitation. Anything can chart on the Hot 100. Uh, but it has never been put back on the Hot Country Songs chart and apparently Apparently it never will. Wow, that's fascinating. How much did this crossing of genres keep this song at number one? 
I would say absolutely. The cross-genre appeal and just the fact that this song was perceived as a capital E event made a huge difference in why it was such an enduring hit. I mean, for a moment, let's think about the three records that have all spent at least 16 weeks at number one on the Hot 100. Lil Nas X has now spent 17 weeks. He's just broken out of a three-way tie. But the other two records that spent 16 weeks at number one are Mariah Carey and Boys to Men with their hit One Sweet Day from 1995. And Despacito, a record that teamed up Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee, already from two very different quarters of Latin music, with, of course, Justin Bieber, who threw in an English verse. In both cases, these are event records that are taking people from different corners of the music world and putting them together. And that's exactly what happened with Lil Nas X. It would have been a number one hit on its own if, you know, Billy Ray Cyrus had never come on for the remix. But once Billy Ray Cyrus was on for the remix, the numbers that, you know, this song has been racking up in the last 16 weeks have just been staggering. And that, you know, sort of event perception and the fact that the record is, to your point, you know, multi-genre to its bones uh, really explains the deep popularity. Let's not forget that this song is built out of a sample of an obscure song by Nine Inch Nails, so a band from alt-rock. It's uh, a record that, you know, sounds like country but also sounds like hip Pop. It has a reference to a lyric by Kanye West, Can't Nobody Tell Me Nothing. Um, it is not really rapped. It's kind of sung, which sort of makes it an R&B record. It's kind of a novelty record. It's certainly a funny record. You might call it a comedy record. So it's a very difficult song to categorize. And frankly, in an era where young audiences, you know, younger millennials, Generation Z, no longer much care what genre a song they like comes from, um, this is sort of a number one hit for its time. It very much reflects what popular music sounds like in 2019. Well, I guess maybe the formula is, is you got to get, you know, big names from two different genres to collaborate together. So and, and I never thought that we would come up with uh, with Trap Country. I'm wondering if maybe the next hit that's going to stay in the charts for 17 weeks or more is maybe like electronic folk or something like that. But maybe, maybe that's <laughs> a part of the uh, the equation. Well, Chris Melanthi, he is a pop chart analyst and host of Hit Parade podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today and talking about this phenomenon that is Old Town Road by Little Nas X. It broke the record this week for the longest song at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Chris Valanthe, thanks so much. Emily Fox, it was a pleasure talking to you. This is Sound and Vision. KEXP will be hosting concerts at the Mural for the next three Fridays. They happen at the Mural Amphitheater right under the Space Needle in the Seattle Center. This Friday features Cherry Glazer. We caught up with Cherry Glazer when she stopped by the KEXP studios this spring while on tour with her latest album. Here's a profile produced by KEXP's Owen Murphy. My name is Clementine, and I'm from the band Cherry Glazer, and the new album is called Stuffed and Ready. Music just floats into my head and then I record it onto my phone so I'll be driving or I'll be going to sleep and melodies will pop into my head and I'll grab my phone and then record them into my phone and then later I'll translate them onto the guitar 
And then I'll come up with uh, counter melodies to that guitar part. And that's usually how I come up with my songs. I do think I have a gift where I uh, music comes to me in my head, um, and I'm really grateful for that. But I can't fathom not living life where melodies are popping through your head and stuff. say they love my music I get kind of um, uncomfortable I guess <laughs> because I'm like whoa that's crazy but I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm glad I like my music and so you know my grandma always says if you are looking for a gift for somebody get them something that you would want to get for yourself and I love that because I don't know how that totally relates to what we're talking about, but I suppose like um, I make music for myself and other people liking it is really nice to me. Where should I go, Daddy? What should I say? Where should I go? Is it okay with you? How should I put Daddy? Is it you? I think the album is a lot about growing up and that wasn't something I was really aware of when I was making it, but something that was revealed to me later um, after I was done with the album and I sort of sat with it and looked at what I had done. I think uh, I just write what I feel and sometimes that is sadness and confusion and uh, searching for meaning and sometimes it's philosophical reflection and that's how the songs come to be I like the line hairy people trying not to die in stupid fish It sums up my feelings about not sitting around and being nostalgic and sort of um, how we are all just shooting in the dark every day. We wake up not knowing what is going to happen and um, how we we pretend to know what we're doing in order to survive and in order to be happy and live our lives. But it's really all just sort of a sham.
I'm John Richards, and you are listening to Sound and Vision. And today I'm talking with John Van Dusen, who you may know from his work with the Northwest band, The Lonely Forest, back in the day. He has also just released his latest solo release, I Am Origami Part 3, A Catacomb Hymn, on Tooth & Nail Records. And uh, his work could be filed under It's Okay to Not Be Okay, which is one of my favorite things I've heard recently. I like that. You could do a whole genre of music under that, right, John? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Can you tell me more about the title of your latest release, I Am Origami Part 3, A Catacomb Hymn? That's a mouthful. It is. And I kind of feel badly about it, actually, just forcing people to say it over and over again. Um, it's an album series, and the I Am Origami title just refers to me feeling like I can, I can as as you do with origami, you know, I'm like a piece of paper that can be shaped in many different ways, but it's still the same substance. A Catacomb Hymn, specifically because I'm singing about death and suicide and depression and feeling isolated, feeling underground, but in a way that's spiritual. So that's that's why I kind of, you know, the marriage of the two words. So a lot has been written about you uh, revolving around, um, you're singing about your faith. Mm-hmm. You've, been, you've described yourself as a Christian making music, mm-hmm. but your songs also explore issues of doubt, depression, suicide, as you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And you've said as well that the church doesn't do well addressing these issues. Do you feel it's important to address both the issues and the church's role in those issues in your music? Absolutely. Um, I might not sing about it explicitly in in regards to what the church should do better. Um, That's something I would obviously talk about in in an interview. But I do think that it's really important to discuss mental health issues, specifically within environments that um, historically have done a really poor job of giving people that type of freedom. And also remembering that when an organization like the church, one that's immensely powerful and you know, has immense cultural influence over millions and millions of people, when they disregard mental health specifically, there's blood on their hands in that. Because anytime somebody is made to feel ashamed of being sad or depressed or doubtful or angry, what tends to happen is they, they, they become isolated and insulated within themselves. And as we both know, that's a very dangerous place to be. And a church is supposed to be a welcoming place. It's supposed to be a home you know, where all are welcome. And as is abundantly clear, um, that's not the case in a lot of churches. And quite frankly, makes me very angry and sad. And so I think, I do think as a Christian, it's important for me to talk about it and sing about it, um, to make art that reflects my, you know, insecurities and my doubts and my depression. So. address uh, a lot of your struggles with depression and suicide and some of this uh, this some of this album uh their songs uh these are some heavy titles too <laughs> yes. i want to say it is all nothing no- oh wait sorry if it is all not is it it is all nothing, nothing if all must end. if all is nothing nothing must end that's right and as well as fly away to hell sometimes you just want to fly away to hell just want to fly away to hell and the track numb now a yes. lot of those uh heavy titles what do you hope these songs will do for others struggling with depression? And, and what has it done for you? Well, for me, it's just, it's a therapeutic tool. I needed to do it. I needed to sing about it because that's what I've, 
done since I was 14. Um, and it was important for me to sing so explicitly about my struggles because I didn't want there to be any question. I just, no, sometimes I want to die. That's just the way I feel. Um, if I say anything else, I'm lying to you and to myself. I need to say it out loud. And I think those who have connected with the record, I would hope they would feel less alone in it when they feel it, um, when they have a, a week that's just really heavy and really hard, specifically within the church, like we were talking about, because if all is nothing, nothing must end, is me writing from my Christian perspective, saying that wanting to die and having suicidal tendencies as a Christian is a very confusing thing because we believe in an afterlife. And I ponder snuffing out the candle that you lit within me. So there's this weird tension between wondering, like, if I die, where am I going to go? Right? There's this infinite weight placed upon it. And then Fly Away to Hell, which is right after, it's like a sister song. It's specifically written for my friends who are not Christians, who have felt alienated by the church, who maybe want to be in the church and aren't accepted. And this idea that theologically, you know, Christendom, if that's the right term, the church believes that if they die, they're just, they're gone forever. They're in hell in some terrible place. And how sometimes, even myself, but in frustration, you, you just kind of want to say, you know, F you to the church. And like, I just want to, fine, I'm done. I'm done with you. You clearly have no place for me. I'm done with you. And there's this anger. And, and so that song specifically trying to say, you know, I know sometimes you feel this way. And sometimes I feel this way too, but don't forget all the little things about life that are really beautiful. And we talked about this actually during the in-studio. We talked about, you know, watching the natural world unfold before us and how that's simply just the, the miracle of life or the brilliance of life is enough sometimes to keep me tethered to reality and feeling like it's, it's good to be alive. The song we're about to play is specifically about remembering small like really small, beautiful things I think we forget to cherish. I don't know if that sounds cheesy, but... No. Um, one of the lines is like, uh, I think I say, in the way a rabbit runs away. It's such a beautiful thing. I think we, at least where we are, there's rabbits everywhere. <laughs> they're always like running in front of my car and then they run away. It's really beautiful. And I think in my case, like that's something I want to hold on to. Um, appreciate the, the small, like seemingly insignificant beauties. But please don't forget the way the sun... Again, we're talking to John Van Dusen, who's released part three in your series, and you said five parts. Five parts. Five parts, and this one's on Tooth & Nail as well. Now, one of the um, one of the songs as well, you take a shot, a pretty good one, at social media. <laughs> like, I really like that song. Thank uh, you. The lyrics in it are <laughs> pretty good. Uh, social you. Sucker is the name of it. Mm-hmm. And um, so what's your, 
I mean, I, I can, from that song, but for people listening, like, what's your view of social media's impact on our, on anything, I guess? Is your mental health, your time? I ponder this a lot. I often consider removing myself from it completely, Move, removing myself from the internet. Um, my wife and I, we don't have internet at our house for that very reason. Um, I often want to shrink back into a cave <laughs> and... That's the unhealthy part of me. The healthier part of me wants to detach myself from the darker, more discouraging aspects of the internet and social media and um, even just exist within my own tangible community of Anacortes, you know, walk to stores and the library and the record shop and the restaurant and meet people. Um, I wonder if we were more balanced, it would be going better. But I will say that it depresses the hell out of me. It really does. And Rachel, who I know you guys can't see, who's sitting five feet to my left, she runs my social media right now. And it is honestly one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given. <laughs> um, and I think my generation and, the, and Generation Z, the one below me, I think we are going to pay a massive price because of our inability to connect in, in real, tangible ways. I think we're going to pass on some really d destructive and detrimental habits to our children, which they'll then perpetuate within society. It's um, highly discouraging. So that's a lot of thoughts on it. Social sucker is me just simply saying to a friend, that's not who you are. You're not a social ladder climber. These connections you're making are not real. And... Um, we're going to de-evolve, all of us, if we continue to live in this way. So that's really what the song's about. What is your biggest hope for this, for this record? Like, your hope when you released it? I mean, I think I just hope that some people will, other than enjoy it, just find some meaning in it. And I've been getting text messages and messages online. Um, people, and just pass her, you know, people I see around saying, you know, I love your record. I had one friend write me and say that he felt the freedom to be angry. Wow. And something we we should all feel the freedom to feel that if especially those who don't know how to express it um that's what i've that's all i can hope for it's like we said earlier it's okay not to be okay indeed yeah it's a really important thing so um that's that's what i hope for i've been speaking with john van dusen his latest album is called i am origami part three a catacomb hymn this is Sound and Vision from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. And I'm John Richards. And this week, Emily, when we were trying to figure out our question of the week, we were thinking about song obsession because of the little Nas X juggernaut on the charts. And how popular it is and how so many people probably heard it over and over and over again. So we wanted to ask a question that was similar to like the song obsession. Um, and so we thought, you know, there's times where, where you listen to a song and then you just can't get enough of it. But there's something probably also going on in your life that that 
you connect to the song and it's like helping you get through something. Yeah, I brought up, I always try to bring up an example. Like, what are we looking for? Like, what stories? I talked about Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World that I had heard when I when my first marriage ended. And I heard that song at the exact moment I needed to hear it and then geeked out, like kept playing it over and over. Like, like it freaked me out a little how much. A, that song helped me, and how many times I probably listened to it in a row. So we send the listener questioner out to the airwaves, and a few come in, and then Francois wrote us. Yes. So we are going to hear from Francois. He's going to be at the end of this, so stay tuned. Yeah, it is powerful, so I want to make sure you hear his story. But we thank everybody who sent us some pretty amazing stories here on our listener question. My name is Deborah. I'm, I live in Seattle, and the song that I can't stop listening to is... Walk Unafraid. It's originally by R.E.M., but I first actually heard this song uh, in 2014, uh, the first Aid Kit version. And at that time, I was coming out of an abusive, emotionally abusive relationship, and I was still living the aftershock of dealing with toxic, judgmental people. And when I heard the song, I was like, wait a minute. This song is telling me that I don't have to live by other people's expectations, that I'm free to be myself. And that was such a powerful message. I was listening to the song on the on KXP. I was on the bus coming home from work. I opened the YouTube app. I looked for the song. I found it. I found the lyrics. And I just put it on repeat for the remainder of the trip. Still today, I, the song gives me goosebumps. It's such a nice reminder that I am free to be myself. It's okay to be myself. And I love myself for it. My name is Rachel Axtell and I live in Port Orchard, Washington, and the song that I obsessively listened to in high school was David Bowie's Rock and Roll Suicide, and I grew up in suburbs of Chicago and was in an all-girls Catholic high school and knew that this was not the right scene for me, but as I was trying to get through high school, listening to the song every day just kind of gave me that strength to um, hang in there to be able to make it through that time of isolation, being the second youngest of five kids and just sort of being told that as long as I get good grades, I could be left alone. And David Bowie was really always there, (laughs) as silly as it sounds and angsty as it is to know that I wasn't alone. Oh no, love, you're not alone. My name is Francois Lerve. I'm from Bellevue, Washington. Uh, the song that I couldn't stop listening to was uh, Two Step by the Swing Muses. Uh, it happened um, several years ago. Uh, this is six weeks after my wife, Siobhan, had uh, passed away, and I was stuck in the, the bleak grayness of grief, barely making it through the days. One day, I remember it distinctly, it was late fall, on the way to work, it was a misty morning. The 
sun was slowly burning through the clouds and uh, listening to throwing muses, a two-step came on. And in the moment, after just a few bars, I had the strange sensation that uh, my wife was sitting next to me in the car. The sensation was so strong that I had to look over, feeling that somebody was there. And throughout the song, that sensation, that feeling was there the whole time. I kept looking back, and it was the oddest thing. I couldn't stop listening to that song for the rest of the day. Played it over and over again. Snuck a few repeats while at work. Listened to it that uh, that whole evening. And for the next couple of days, I could not stop listening to that song. With that same feeling of her being present... And it was in that moment that, uh, at that time, that uh, suddenly the the feeling of grief started to be slowly replaced with a strong feeling of gratitude for the life that I'd spent, uh, the time that I'd spent with her, the 30 years of marriage we had had together. It was uh, a powerful, powerful feeling. We want to thank Francois and all of our listeners. Emily, if that doesn't tell you our, what music heals, yeah, um, why music is so important, why, you know, to be selfish here a little bit, why KXB is important and bringing music t- to everybody in those stories. Everyone is really important to us here at Sound. And how Vision. music connects us. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's so many of those stories, and it's just so good to hear another one here this morning. Oh, yeah. And thank you so much again to everyone who wrote in and shared your stories. Um, They wrote in at soundandvision at kexp.org. That is our email. If you have music-related stories you think we should be asking, if you have any feedback, you can write us there. Now, new question this week. What's a song where you felt it was written for you? It was about exactly what you are going through. I'll give you an example really quick. There was a U2 song called New York. Now, here's a weird thing. They wrote that song, released it, and then apparently knew about my life and about what was about to happen because about a year later, that song was my life in New York. And I was freaked out. It it freaked me out how much that song was about my time in that city. Listen to the lyrics if you want to know exactly how my life was in New York. That's an example, and maybe you have one as well. A song that knew exactly what you were going through. Write us with that song and the story about why that song was about you. Sound and Vision at KEXP.org. Again, you can reach us at Sound and Vision at KEXP.org. And then maybe next week you can be included as part of this listener question segment at the end of the show. Well, before we wrap things up, I want to remind you that if you like this podcast, please rate and review it so more people can discover it. That really, really helps. It would also be wonderful if you could give a one-time $20 donation at KEXP org slash sound. And before we wrap things up, John, we have to ask someone why music matters. Can you talk about who we will be asking today? I asked John Van Dusen, who stopped by to talk about his new record and a whole lot of other things, why music matters. I think music in general, making music, listening to music, watching other people make music, makes me feel human.
That was Sound and Vision. See you next week.